We welcome State Senator George Borello to the WRFA studios today. Welcome. Good to be back, Julia. Thank you. Yeah, it's great to have you here. And so we thought so now that a couple of weeks have passed since the end of the state legislature session and you've had some time to take stock of all of it. What are your thoughts on how this last session went? Well, you know, I'm a little disappointed. Well, I'm, I'm disappointed in a number of ways. Uh, I think we had opportunities uh, to improve things in New York State, and um, we failed on a lot of those opportunities. The last week of session was dominated by uh, you know political posturing and, and virtue signaling. Uh, you saw a lot of these um, <clears throat> pieces of legislation have to do with uh, you know with with gun regulations and and abortion. Um, most of it uh, was haphazardly put together. And um, in the end, uh, you know, you, you're seeing this, for example, the body armor bill. Uh, the body armor bill was, was supposed to directly address the, the body armor that was worn by the Buffalo shooter. And it just recently came out that, uh, in fact, what they covered was not even the, the same body armor that the shooter wore. So uh, I voted against it. I would have still voted against it because I, I just don't uh, think that th this is the, the right way to handle things. But the bottom line is we spent a lot of time, and, and it's because... You know, the Democrats that are in charge, the, the majority, uh, largely based uh, out of New York City, uh, they know that they're under, they under fire. They know that the people of New York State have lost faith in their ability to lead. And so they had to throw together legislation to make it look like they've done something. And in the end, it was just, uh, you know, um, a failure, in my opinion. Mm -hmm. When it comes to legislation, and we'll start, I always say, let's start with the good news, sure. or if there's anything good. Were there, was there any legislation or actions that was take, that were taken by the legislature that you were proud of that came out of this session? Absolutely. There Actually, there were a number of things, but uh, one of the things I was most proud of, quite frankly, is, the, is that um, we really started to address broadband in New York State. Um, you know, this was a bipartisan effort. Uh, myself, um, the chairman of the Agriculture Committee, Michelle Hinchy, um, folks on both sides of the aisle. We uh, first, the, one of the first things that we that we did was finally remove this tax on uh, fiber optic cable, which was killing broadband projects across New York State. Um, you know, this was something that was enacted um, in in 2020, and in two years, uh, it really it took its toll on broadband. So we finally removed that tax on broadband, uh, and along with that, we passed historic legislation uh, uh, to uh, to to actually stop price gouging on the part of utility companies that were charging broadband providers to attach to their poles. You know, they typically it would cost roughly $2,500 per pole for a fiber optic line to be attached to an existing utility pole. And once all this state and federal money started flowing around for uh, to, to for broadband projects, these utility companies decided they wanted a bigger piece of the pie, and they raised that $2,500 to as much to, as ten dollars to $15,000 per pole. So uh, again, my, myself and, and Senator Hinchy passed a bill um, waiting for the governor to sign it uh, that would uh, address the price gouging that utility companies uh, were, were engaging in. Uh, and then finally, um, right toward the end of session, we addressed another uh, problem, another barrier for the expansion of broadband, uh, and that was uh, these unnecessary resurveying of uh, existing utility poles that was required by the State Department of Transportation uh, for broadband projects. So essentially, an existing pole uh, had to be resurveyed, which was cost 
costing money and delaying projects further. As I said on the floor of the Senate, I don't know a lot about utility poles, but I knew that I do know that they don't get up and walk around. Uh, so uh, there, it was unnecessary to to do a survey of already existing poles where a survey already existed. So uh, I am very proud of the fact that we worked in a bipartisan manner uh, to to really start to address what we can do to truly expand rural broadband. And New York State was one of the biggest barriers to the expansion of broadband, and we've now removed those barriers. Mm-hmm. And broadband is has been local issue, and, and like you said, statewide and also nationally, as we heard. So I imagine that we'll be talking more about broadband in the future as other projects start to go forward, and probably some, even some from the state itself. So um, in terms of other legislation, I, I I always I laughed a little bit off air before we started recording, but I, I but I want you to talk about it again. There was something mm-hmm. that you had worked hard on to uh, get passed and or made permanent. And that would be the Nourish New York program. Mm-hmm. So, what else, what is the ultimate outcome of that? Well, the, so and thank you for bringing up Nourish New York. You know, that's one of my favorite topics. You know, we we had this great program that was developed, um, uh, you know, during the pandemic, and it was when we saw during during the height of the pandemic, we saw farmers that were dumping milk and letting their crops rot in the field because they didn't have a market, especially because you know schools and restaurants and other institutions had been shut down, which is a big market for a lot of agriculture products. Meantime, we had food banks around the state that couldn't provide enough food to those people in need, especially during the height of the pandemic. So the the Nourish New York program was born out of that. It was developed by the um, Department of Agriculture, uh, and it, it bridged that gap between the, those that they had food that they could not have a market for and those that needed it to supply it to, to people that were suffering from food insecurity. The problem was it was a program that was under the whim of the governor that had to be funded, you know, uh, piecemeal. And the bill that I developed, uh, and along with, again, with Senator Hinchy, uh, with my friend Catalina Cruz in the Assembly, uh, we brought this bill forward because I, Catalina and I had the opportunity to work together. I saw her, the need in, in down in Queens, in her district, for uh, these, these huge makeshift food banks that served as many as 10,000 families per week uh, that were running out of food. And at the same time, we saw our farmers that were struggling. So we created a bill that would make this a permanent recurring program. And that's important because now our farmers can plan for this. They can plan for the, the growing, knowing that they're going to get that that uh, Nourish New York money. Uh, and also our food banks can budget for it as well. So and, and all along that food supply chain, it strengthens the food supply chain. So this was a huge victory. It, it, it passed both houses unanimously. Uh, the governor signed it. And now going into this, this new year, um, you know, right now farmers are planning and planting literally um, based on the fact that they know that that, that funding will be there. Well, you know, when it comes time for harvest. Mm-hmm. Is there any other legislation that you had worked on that you saw go forward that you're pleased with? You know, we did um, several things. You know, once again, we honored um, our, uh, you know, our, our fallen veterans and, and, and heroes uh, by renaming roadways in this area. Uh, I think it's, you know, for a long time, we, we named um, roads and bridges after, you know, famous elected officials and so forth. And now we're honoring those folks who names you may not have known uh, that uh, that either that either died defending our nation or, or lived a full life and then passed on, uh, you know, so, uh, as a veteran. Uh, and we're honoring those folks we had some in randolph and in other parts of uh, of of my district and uh and i'm you know very proud of the fact that we've we've engaged in this and and we've had several uh, in fact uh, i would say we've had more in my district uh, you know than, than than others as far as uh, uh people that we've been able to honor so those are those are good things as well um you know we, we were able to address uh, um like i said some issues that 
you know, had to do with ensuring that we're able to get people in need uh, connected up with the resources that they have. Um, we were able to um, move a little, move forward a little bit on um, uh, removing some restrictions, uh, you know, barriers and restrictions. That was kind of it was kind of a a year of things that weren't high on people's radar, like broadband. Uh, as far as the restrictions on broadband, uh, we were also able to do some good things for our, for our farmers, as I mentioned before. Um, and uh, it was kind of those things that, even though people saw the issue and the problem, the the actual solution was below the radar. So this was a good session where for for things that kind of the solution flew below the radar. We we were still able to accomplish it. Mm-hmm. We'll turn over to the other side of the coin, and I, I know there's a number of things. I went to your town hall that you had in Dunkirk recently, and you you know talked about some of the things that you were not happy with that mm-hmm. had happened. So what are some of the legislation that came out of this last session that you see as you know problematic or things you weren't happy with, or things that may have caused issues down the road? Well, there, <laughs> unfortunately, there's a lot of those things. Um, <clears throat> as I said, toward the end of session. Um, we did a lot of things that were, you know, I think haphazard at best. Um, we, the, the the whole idea of moving the purchase of a uh, of a rifle from eighteen to twenty one. It sounds like a good idea in, uh, to some folks, but the reality is is that we have just failed to address the real issue, uh, which is is mental health and uh, you know people dangerous people that are that are no longer being taken out of society. And this is what I said at the at the town hall uh, when it comes to the eighteen to twenty one rule. Um, it was that was recently overturned uh, in California by a federal court as unconstitutional. Um, the micro stamping of uh, of bullets again something that sounds like a good idea. The whole idea that we can you know adjust the firing pin of a gun so that it has a serial number that will then will be stamped onto a bullet when it's fired. They, they tried this back in 2007 in California, and here we are, 15 years later, and they have failed to be able to implement it. I debated this bill with the, the sponsor Brad Hoyleman, and I said. Show me where this has been successfully um, deployed. And, and he had no answer. He just danced around it. So r- meaningless virtue signaling that did nothing. But what it will do is it will, it will likely make it more difficult uh, for, for firearms to be sold in New York State. And by the way, that's probably the goal, I think, that of, of my colleagues on the other side of the aisle, the, the, the New York City-based liberals, is that you know, we know this isn't going to work. We know this is, is futile. But if we force gun manufacturers to do this in New York State, maybe they'll just decide to stop selling firearms in New York State. And I think that's the goal. But if you want to do that, then try to do that. Don't come up with some ridiculous program that we know is, is going to fail that has never been successfully executed anywhere in the world. Couldn't come up with one example. And a problem that really doesn't need to be solved. You know, there is, we, have, we already have advanced ballistics testing. We already have plenty of ways to identify where which gun a bullet came from. This is pretty much meaningless and useless. It's just a, a barrier. It's a veiled attempt uh, to, to restrict people's ability uh, to keep and bear arms. And uh, before we talk about any of the other um, legislation from this from this last session, I kind of want to stay on the topic of of gun laws because we did see the bipartisan um, bill go through the state senate. Uh, it would have been Thursday night uh, when, when, when the we US were talking. Senate. The U.S. Senate. Thank you. Yeah. The U.S. Senate. And mm-hmm. it still has to pass the House. It's anticipated will do so. Mm-hmm. I, I don't know if you've had a chance to even look at any of what has been passed in there. And knowing that Governor Hochul, in the light of the Supreme Court's decision mm-hmm. regarding uh, the, the the case that uh, New York had about concealed weapons, and her saying that it, she's going to bring you guys back into a special session probably <laughs> in the near future, mm-hmm. How do you think the federal legislation, you know, what are your opinions on that and what and how it may 
reflect on whatever mm-hmm. is going to happen in a special session that you'll probably have for the state? Well, you know, this whole uh, thing that came out of the U.S. Senate is only a few hours old. Um, this certainly might um, have some amendments in the in the House, but my understanding is that it it, it encourages states to um, to strengthen red flag laws. That's my understanding of what this. Uh, <clears throat> so because so it's not it's not sweeping federal legislation. Uh, it, in a way, it's respecting states' rights to individually make that decision. Um, but the bottom line is, we have seen red flag laws fail here in New York State. Um, New York State uh, has the strictest gun laws in the nation. Um, we, you know, and why are we seeing this this recent spike in violence? Well, when has it occurred? It's really been in the last couple of years. It has coincided with bail reform. It has coincided with our failure uh, to strengthen our mental health laws. Um, it's coincided with the defund the police movement. Um, all these things that we've done uh, that basically has emboldened criminals. It, it has, um, unfortunately, is it, it's encouraged people with mental health issues to to act out on on their, you know, uh, on their demented, uh, uh, you, you know, m- mental uh, images. Uh, and and we've seen this uh, um, increase. So what's the question now? Is someone said to me, well, why why is it now? What's different between now and thirty or forty years ago? Someone said this to me recently. And I, I discussed this in the town hall. Are the guns different? They're really not. Are the gun laws different? Yeah, they're stricter than they were 30 or 40 years ago. The difference is our government is no longer willing to take dangerous people out of society, people that are a threat to themselves and others. We don't do that anymore. We shut down um, mental institutions. We have closed down mental health evaluation beds. We've tied the hands of law enforcement and mental health professionals. That is the reason why. It's really the only reason why we've seen this spike in violence. It's the only difference between now and 30 or 40 years ago. Until we are willing to have the hard conversation that we have to address those folks that have clear signs of mental illness, violent mental illness. And again, this is a very, very small percentage of our population. It is a small percentage of people with mental health issues that are potentially violent. It is a small percentage of our society uh, that is uh, th- that are violent criminals. But we have to address those folks because they are the ones uh, that, that are uh, really, uh, you know, severely impacting the quality of life uh, and, and uh, you know, the, the public safety of, of our nation and our state in general. So, until we're willing to do that, until we're willing to address those those issues, nothing's going to get better. All these things, all these proposals, ban banning this, restricting that, um, it's not going to change things until we get back to the idea that someone who is dangerous needs to be taken out of society. Mm-hmm. It's in terms of specific <clears throat> legislation. I mean, if you if you could bring forward something that you think would help, what would would be something you would, I guess, a wish list, I guess, of a. Well, in regard to this issue, there's already a number of things that I have proposed. Um, first of all, we proposed the complete repeal of, of the disastrous and failed bail reform law in New York that has made New York far more dangerous. The vast majority of New Yorkers, New Yorkers believe that, um, number one, they believe that uh, bail reform is the cause of the spike in crime. That's, uh, you know, two thirds of New Yorkers believe that. Almost unanimously, nearly 90% of New Yorkers believe that judges should have discretion to hold someone uh, without bail based on their dangerousness and based on the, their, their criminal history, which is not allowed to be considered right now. Um, so New Yorkers know that, that these laws have failed, and that should have been repealed. We had the opportunity. We introduced several amendments throughout this session to do a clean repeal of bail reform, and once again, every single Democrat in the state Senate voted against it. Uh, <clears throat> I also have a bill that I carry, a bipartisan bill with uh, Senator Diane Savino out of Staten Island, who's a Democrat, uh, that would strengthen our mental health laws, that would give 
mental health professionals and law enforcement the ability to hold someone for a longer period of time to ensure uh, that either they're they're getting the proper treatment that they need, um, or if not, that that we're that we're able to put them somewhere to keep themselves safe and uh, from harming others. One of the key things that that bill would do is that it would use things like not being able to provide basic care for yourself. If you cannot provide yourself with food and shelter and clothing, that that is considered an indicator of mental illness. And I think that's common sense, right? We all see people uh, that are on the streets that clearly need help, that that have mental health issues, that cannot care for themselves. That would, under under the um, the bill that Diane Savino and I created, that would be considered uh, a, a legitimate reason to bring someone in for evaluation. Yeah, it was, was that the bill that you had been working on that was the expansion of Kendra's Law? Yes, and this has been, you know, and this, this we, we did this long before the Buffalo shooting, long before Uvalde. This is something we've been working on almost since the beginning of session. So yeah, it, it you know, this is the, this is the path. The path is to ensure that we are addressing those folks and we are and we are giving our, our mental health professionals and law enforcement the tools that they need to address those folks that are in crisis. Mm-hmm. Coming back to uh, uh, you mentioned bail reform mm-hmm. already, is it? But I imagine there was other things that besides that that you saw pass in the in the state legislature mm-hmm. that maybe you're thinking that maybe need to be changed or altered from this. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. So, Maybe that's a loaded question. I yeah, in terms yeah. of yeah. <laughs> well, you know, look, there's, there's, um, when you start talking about the fact that we passed nearly 1,200 new laws this year alone in New York State, I think about that. We've passed, uh, I think it was 1,100. Andy Goodell has the exact number. I think it's 1,155 laws that passed through both houses and are waiting to be signed by the governor. Um, did we really need 1,100? And something new laws in New York State this year alone, um, you know. So we start talking about altering things and making things better. We we have we have opportunity to do that, but we've bogged down the system so much with these unnecessary new regulations uh, and new laws, and address you know trying to address climate change by passing these radical bills uh, like the CLCPA, which a lot of people think it's a great aspirational goal. But we're not in, into the business of aspirational goals. We're in doing things that are feasible, that that are practical, and that are necessary. And so much of this is unnecessary. Um, so I would love to make changes. Uh, you know, one of the big things right now is that the um, the Climate Action Council that was created by the uh, CLCPA has made recommendations uh, to uh, to not allow any new natural gas service or propane service uh, in a new in new construction starting January first of 2024. In a year and a half. You will not be able to build a new home or a new business with natural gas service. And that's outrageous, and that is not, and that is something that is on the precipice of being adopted uh, by the governor. Um, that the the elimination essentially in a few years of uh, anything that's not electric, uh, anything that runs on uh, natural gas, wood burning stoves, propane, all that is going to be eliminated in New York State. We, we are very fortunate that we have great natural gas reserves and we have people that rely on propane uh, uh, for heat and everything else because of the rural areas that we live in. And wood-burning stoves drive through the rural areas of western New York and the southern tier. How many you know of these uh, wood-burning furnaces do you see on people's property? This is their only way to heat their homes, to keep their families warm in the winter. And these, this radical environmentalist agenda is going to eliminate that. And I don't think people understand that. So we need to change that. 
that. That's one of the things that has to be changed because if we don't, it is going to quietly become law in New York State. Mm-hmm. Would, th- would people who already have those be grandfathered in at least? No, no, that's the whole thing. For the, you, you, well, the, for that, for that 2024 one, yes, because it, it has new builds. But by 2035, uh, which, doesn't, which is not all that far away, it, you, we, we, will, we will eliminate all of that according to the to the current agenda of the climate action council and and prior to that you'll be able to you'll not be able to buy uh, i think it's i don't have it here in front of me but i think it's um you know by, by 2025 something like that you'll not be able to buy um a new gas stove or furnace um and then and, and just from there so and eventually you're going to have to convert your home to electricity uh, that is what and this is not just a pie in the sky. This is something that's going to happen if we don't stop it. Mm-hmm. Has there, I mean, thinking about our population here and, you know, our housing stock and everything, and we have very old yeah. housing stock. So, I mean, are there incentives that they are saying will be intact, attached to this where people could get grants or anything? Or I mean, There's been no talk of that. Okay. Um, so, you know, I would think they would have to do something at some point. But I can't imagine what that would cost. Think about what it cost. You know, there, there, there are, I don't know how many you know, hundreds of thousands of private homes in New York State, okay? Um, to the cost to convert one home from natural gas to electric is is probably a ten, twenty, thirty thousand dollar ordeal, depending on the size of the home and how old it is and where it is. so now multiply that times I mean it's 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 hundreds of billions of dollars. And there's no way that the federal government or the state government is going to be able to fund that. So it's gonna it's gonna end up falling on the backs of property owners, homeowners, um, to to do that. I, I, there is just no there's no vehicle, in my opinion, that's that's practical. And again, it's not going to move the needle. You know, those folks that think we have to do this because of climate change, New York State is rep- is responsible for for zero point four percent, less than a fraction, less than one half of one percent of the emissions worldwide. Meanwhile, we were, well, as we convert to renewables, what, we, what are we actually doing? We're actually importing more power than we ever have from the dirtiest old-fashioned coal plants in places like Homer City, Pennsylvania. Homer City, Pennsylvania, a dirty old-fashioned coal plant that belches pollution and greenhouse gases into the air, is now supplying electricity to New York State because we ran transmission lines to do that, to back up uh, our conversion to renewable energy. If it's truly global climate change, we're actually going backwards by doing so. And that's the fallacy of all this. We should have converted to natural gas. Natural gas is much cleaner. It's a smaller carbon footprint. Uh, but instead, we, we, we're going we're gonna to pretend that we're doing something about climate change. Keeping on with state legislature issues, uh, is there anything that you're hoping to work on or you are working on for the next session? And of course, I say the next session mm-hmm. that, that I mean, we anticipate that special session sometime yes. in the coming weeks. But when the, when the next regular <clears throat> yes. session starts, what are the things you're hoping to work on? So there's there's a few things we're working on. Um, we're, we're going to reintroduce the bill um, to ban the um, uh, industrial wind turbines in our freshwater lakes in New York State. This is an important one. Right now, um, there is a rigged study being conducted by NYSERDA. Um, and I say rigged because um, the, you know when I directly engaged uh, with NYSERDA on this uh, and got the list of all the organizations that are involved in the study, um, it is all renewable energy uh, people, engineers, and so forth. There wasn't a single person that, that understands anything about the ecology of our Great Lakes, uh, people that were experts on hydrology, water supply, the environment. It's all people that, quite frankly, would benefit from uh, placing industrial wind turbines in our freshwater lakes like Lake Erie, threatening 
the drinking water of 11 million people with something that's never been done anywhere in the world. So I'm going to introduce that bill to, to ban that. Uh, Diane Savino is not coming back. Uh, she's um, retiring from the state Senate. So I'm hoping to work with another sponsor on the other side of the aisle to reintroduce uh, the bill um, to uh, strengthen Kendra's law and to and to strengthen our mental health, uh, uh, our ability for our mental health folks to to be able to to address these issues of people in crisis. Um, and uh, I have several other bills. The um, a bill that I've had for a while that I will introduce, reintroduce is the first employee tax credit. We have a lot of independent business people that are sole proprietors that would love to bring someone on you know their first employee but it it is a exponentially um uh, it's an exponentially high cost increase to just bring on one employee to have to have payroll and taxes and this would give a three-year credit um to to reduce that cost of bringing on your first payrolled employee um so this and, and several others are, are priorities that i would like to continue uh, to bring forward in, in the new session next year great Anything else that you want to tell us about that's happening either, you know, in the legislature or mm-hmm. that you're work other things that you're working on? Well, you know, I um, we, we still broadband is still a challenge um, for sure. Um, we are still working hard on workforce uh, development because that to me is the key. Uh, how, I, I, tonight I'm actually going to be um, being a commencement speaker at, at Randolph High School, which I'm so excited to do. I was a commencement speaker at SUNY Fredonia, and I want to continue to talk to our kids about the benefits of living here and, and, and the great quality of life and the fact that they have probably the, the greatest opportunity, more so than any other generation before them, because of the ability for people to work remotely, which certainly accelerated during the pandemic, uh, that you can choose where you want to live. So many people work remotely now. Um, that you can operate a business here, that you can work from home, that you can raise a family here. And this is a great place to do that. And that's the message I want to continue to spread. Uh, But part of that is ensuring that we have the basic infrastructure needs so that people can locate here. And that includes broadband, it includes water and sewer, it includes infrastructure like roads so that people can open a business, expand a business here. Uh, It also, uh, it has to include the the quality of life things that we continue to ensure that this is the beautiful, pristine area that we all love and that it's not going to be overrun by the industrialization uh, of our landscape, by these unnecessary boondoggle green energy projects. So those are the things that we're going to continue to push for. I love this area. I, 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 my family's here. My businesses are here. My friends are here. Uh, we all love it here, and we want it to. We love it because of the way it is, and we don't want things that are going to threaten our way of life uh, and threaten our quality of life uh, to to overshadow uh, the, the the goal of ensuring that we can have people be able to live here, work here, raise their family here, and that to me is just the is the ultimate goal. Mm-hmm. Is childcare still something that's on the radar? Well, absolutely. Um, we did address some child care issues this year in, in the state Senate. Unfortunately, um, you know, so much of it was commandeered by this idea that we want to do universal child care, which means it doesn't matter if you're uh, living at the poverty level or if you are a hedge fund billionaire, uh, you, you still get free child care. I don't think that's correct. I think we need to have a, a certain income restrictions uh, on, on that because it's not something that we can that's sustainable if we don't. I think we also have to consider the fact that um, the reason that we want to have uh, child care is because it is a, the, one of the number one barriers to people being able to work. So we want to support those folks 
um, with childcare, uh, but which means that another requirement that was not included in universal childcare was a requirement to work. Um, you know, I, I'm very good with someone saying, "I need childcare while I go to school. I need childcare." Um, you know, uh, uh, I need I need some time after I get childcare to find a job or to get the skills that I need to 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 be able to to uh, improve myself. I'm good with all that, but the idea that there is never a work requirement for 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 childcare provided to you by the taxpayers is something I could not support. So, with some guardrails, I think there's a great opportunity here, and and and, th- there, and the will is there. The problem is, as so many things that happen in Albany, it went way too far. Okay. Anything else that you'd like to add? <clears throat> uh, I think it's uh, just like I say, it's uh, summer's here now. Um, this is one of the best times to, to live uh, in Chautauqua County and in this region in general, our beautiful lakes and waterways. Um, you know, we, uh, uh, we, we set out to enjoy it, and I hope that uh, uh, everyone does enjoy and have a great summer. And also, uh, this is tourism season. So uh, for those folks that are coming to town to spend a little money, let's make sure we welcome them and, uh, and give them the, the great hospitality that we know we can. All right. State Senator Burrell, thanks for joining us. Thank you so much.